morning. Moses was rescued from a death sentence as an infant. He was adopted by a princess and grew up in the royal court of Egypt, which was probably the most or one of the most powerful, richest countries at that time. And when he's 40, he is checking, he's, he's Hebrew, and he's checking in on the other Hebrews who are slaves, and he sees an Egyptian overseer abusing one of the slaves, and he ends up killing him, and he has to flee. And so for the next 40 years, he lives in exile. And he's a shepherd. And 40 years later, he's 80 years old. Think of somebody 80 years old you know. And although probably more spry than our 80-year-olds, he sees this bush burning on a mountain. But it, isn't, it doesn't burn up. And he goes up, and God talks to him. God's there with the bush. And sends him to deliver the Israelite slaves in Egypt. And he goes, and at first, the, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, doesn't want to let him go. And so God sends a whole bunch of plagues. And the first nine kind of destroy all of the crops and most of the livestock and some of the people. But the tenth one, God sends an angel of death. And all of the firstborn in Egypt die. And then Pharaoh and all the people say, go, just get out of here. And so they leave. And we'll put a map up on the screen. Um, Experts have lots of different understandings of where they go. This is the Sinai Peninsula, the Red Sea here, and other bodies of water. And so they kind of go a little north and then south, and then they get backed up against the Red Sea. And it looks like they, I think God deliberately does this so that Pharaoh looks at what they're doing because they do not know what they're doing. And the truth was, they did not know what they were doing. They'd just been slaves their whole life. And... So they, they want the slaves back in Egypt, so Pharaoh sends his army, and now all the Israelites panic. And they yell at Moses, and they say, we told you to leave us alone, and just we were happy as slaves, and now we're going to die out here in the desert. And God blocks the Egyptians while a strong wind blows and dries up a path for them in the Red Sea. They walk across, but when the Egyptian army tries to follow them, God releases the waters, and they all drown. Well, they head down kind of south and east, and for about six weeks, the people are kind of excited about Moses and God. Yay, God. Yay, Moses. We like them. But then they get hungry, and they start grumbling. No, it would have been better to be a slave in Egypt than to die of hunger out here. And so God sends them quail at night and manna in the morning. So that goes on for a while. Then they get thirsty. No, we're going to die of thirst. And so God gives them water. And this time, though, they're actually talking about stoning Moses. After all, he's done for them. They come to a place called Mount Sinai, a big mountain, and it is shaking, and there's this trumpet sound and loud noises and thunder and lightning and smoke, and they are terrified. And Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God where he gets the Ten Commandments, but they get impatient. They have Aaron build a golden calf for them. They start worshiping it as an idol. And they have this big drunken party. And Moses comes down and God's really angry. And thousands of them die. Altogether, it's about ten different times that they grumble and don't trust God. They finally get close to the promised land over here up at the top. Israel, Cana, it says up there in the top corner. And they send in twelve spies 
to kind of scope things out. And they come back and they say, this is a great place, flowing with milk and honey. But ten of them say, but we can never take it. The people are too tough. The cities are too strong. And so they undermine everybody's faith in God, except for two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua. And again, they start grumbling about Moses, and they are thinking about stoning him to death and picking somebody else to lead them back to Egypt. So God intervenes, and he condemns the Israelites to wander 40 years in the Sinai. 40 years until that generation dies out, and then it's the next generation that actually conquers the promised land. Moses leads them for 40 years, and again and again, in spite of them wanting to stone him, in spite of them grumbling against him, wanting a different leader, he pleads with God for mercy for them. Moses is considered one of the most humble and wisest and most obedient leaders in human history. And today, we have the privilege of hearing some of the wisdom that he condensed into a psalm. So just out of gratitude and respect, if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sign. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children that the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of God. Please be seated. And could you open a Bible or an app to Psalm 90? It's on page 496 in the Pew Bible. I love this psalm and all the wisdom it contains. I'm going to emphasize three concepts today, and I just encourage you to just pick one, whichever one you think might be most helpful to you, and maybe make a couple of notes about it over lunch or dinner. Talk it over with somebody and explain why you think it might be a helpful concept in your life. So we'll start at verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Well, for our, our first concept, what does it mean for God to be your dwelling place? Well, it means that God is home. 
that we're away from home until we are with him. The Apostle Peter says that we are sojourners and exiles because this world is not our real and final home. G.K. Chesterton wrote, The modern philosopher had told me again and again that I was in the right place, and I still felt depressed, even in acquiescence. When I heard that I was in the wrong place, my soul sank to joy like a bird in spring. I knew now why I could feel homesick at home. Similarly, C.S. Lewis writes, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. See, God himself is our home. Verse 14 sort of ties into this when it says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. It's God's steadfast, unconditional love that draws us to him and satisfies us. We were designed to experience his love and to love each other and to love him. And we do experience his love in this life. When you come here Sunday mornings, we hope that you are sensing God's presence. Many people do, because God is here, and the Holy Spirit works especially powerfully often uh, as His people gather to worship. But our experience now, it's just a taste. It's like when you go to Costco and you get a sample. Unless you're like me and you get a lot of samples. He is our home. Well, it's just a sample. It's, it's going to be so much more when we're in His presence. Now, how might this concept be helpful to you this week, depending on kind of what you're going through if you took this concept? Well, maybe you have just this kind of nebulous yearning for something new. As we read in G.K. Chesterton, you should be homesick to some extent until you're in God's presence. So, your yearning may not mean that something is wrong with you. Your yearning may mean something's right with you. Have you thought of that? We're supposed to have uh, some discontent. You are built to yearn for the experience of God's love and beauty and goodness. You may not realize it, but that's what you were created for. Again, in this life, we do experience God's love and His companionship. And people can bring us a lot of love and joy. But at times, we will feel a discontent, kind of an unquenched thirst, because we're not home yet. What do you think it meant to Moses to write that God is our dwelling? He wandered around the wilderness for 40 years with a bunch of people who complained and wanted to kill him in the death. He had a tough time. But he had experienced enough of, of God's presence that when he came down from the mountain where he got the Ten Commandments, he actually physically glowed. They had to cover him up with a veil so that people wouldn't see the glow fade. So he, I, I just imagine the rest of his life he was thinking, I want to get back to that. I want to get back to home. I want to get back to the presence of God. And he was trying to be faithful and finish up so he could do that again because of all people that have ever lived, he experienced about as much of God's glory as just about anybody. Another way that this concept might be helpful for you this week is to be content with where you currently live. It's only temporary. 
I once spent a lot of money and all of my vacations and days off for several years building a house. And we really thought we'd live in that house till we were, were 70 and uh, there was a lot of sweat equity. But then God moved us elsewhere and we had to sell the house at a big loss. And you know what I learned? God is my dwelling. Any building I live in now, it's just simpler. He is where home is. He doesn't promise that I'll make a profit if I sell a house or investments. He doesn't promise I won't have to move. But Jesus does promise in John 14 that he's gone to prepare a place for us and he's going to come back and take us to our real home. Paul actually says about this life, the Apostle Paul, that if we have food and clothing, we'll be content. He doesn't even mention a house. He didn't have a house. Jesus didn't have a house. But they were still content. Because God is our dwelling. And Jesus is coming back to pick us up. So maybe this concept will help you be more content with your home or your car or your health or your net worth. Look at verse 3. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it was past, or as a watch in the night. This is one of the most famous verses in Psalm 90 that God takes the long view. We often think He's taken way too long. We get impatient. But this is not one of the three concepts we're going to look at. Verse 5. You sweep them away. Them, He's now referring to humans being swept away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Don't you like to end like a sigh? The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. If they stand as but toil and trouble, they are soon gone and they fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Not a very upbeat picture of life, is it? See, Moses gave up everything to help deliver the enslaved Israelites and take them to the promised land, but they rebelled and complained they wanted to stone him. They wouldn't trust God to take them into the promised land and conquer it, and so they wandered 40 years in the wilderness, and guess who was stuck with them? Moses. It wasn't his lack of faith. He was ready to go. He gets stuck for 40 years, wandering around, people want to stone him, and they're always complaining. Moses saw firsthand when the ground literally opened up and swallowed Dathan in front of his supporters. Moses had a robust understanding of evil and sin and the wrath of God that this is about. Because we live in this fallen world, what does Moses expect? He expects a lot of difficulty and disappointment. Because of how sinful we tend to be and how difficult and temporary this life is, Moses is now going to give us his advice about how to spend our time. This is one of the most famous verses, which is our second concept, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What does it mean to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom? Numbering our days simply means to realize that we're only going to live so long. How long did Moses say we're going to live? 70, maybe 80 years. 
might be that in his day. See, we will use whatever years we have to pursue whatever we truly value. Well, what is Moses saying is valuable? A heart of wisdom. Now, in this particular church, many of you are more involved in small groups, more involved in studying your Bible or in serving other people, more involved in giving generously or or praying regularly than is is typical in in most churches in America today. So I I really um, congratulate you for that. And these are some of the habits that the Holy Spirit uses to actually change our hearts, to build in us a heart of wisdom so that we gradually become more loving, more like Jesus. And hopefully, if you've been doing that for a while, you can look back a few years and you can kind of perceive, I am different now. I am changing. I've got a long ways to go, but I'm gradually changing. That's how that process should look. However, there are also some of you who do not seem to be numbering your days. According to what Moses is saying. What do I mean by that? See, what happens a lot in our culture, less among you compared to most churches, but still a lot in our culture, is that people postpone getting into a small group or serving or being generous or spending some time each day praying and, and studying the Bible. Maybe they're in their junior year of high school, the toughest, the toughest year, and they're saying, well, you know, when school lightens up, then I'll then I'll get in a small group, or, or then I'll serve in some kind of fashion. Or maybe they have a young family with kids, and they feel like it's all they can do to survive, and they tell themselves there's absolutely no time and energy left to study the Bible or pray. Once the kids are in bed, I just need some time relaxing, or I will go crazy. I speak with authority. Janice and I have five children. I get it. But numbering our days means we do not postpone the most important process God has called us to, to gain a heart of wisdom, to become like Jesus. And, but when life is tough, we start small. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Something small. Or maybe for you, your career is just super demanding, so you tell yourself you will serve when you're older. Or maybe you are older and retired and want to have some fun, so you tell yourself you already served when you were younger. Maybe you're just barely getting by each month financially. And you figure someday you'll be in a position to give generously, but not now. Periodically, we offer a wonderful class by Dave Ramsey called Financial Peace University. Watch for it, because when it comes, you want to take that course, and you don't want to live on the edge financially. You want peace, and you want to be able to contribute. So what might your takeaway be with this concept of numbering your days so that you become wise? It should be simple. Just instead of postponing whatever it is you think God is calling you to do, something small, recruit a buddy, somebody you can trust, and each of you can make a plan about some habit you're going to establish. Maybe it's reading your Bible. Maybe it's being in a small group. Maybe it's beginning to give generously. You share your plans, and each week you just kind of check in with each other and encourage each other. And see what happens. Verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as we have afflicted, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, 
establish the work of our hands. Well, contained within that is the third concept that I want to reflect on in Psalm 90 today, the third and last one. It's verse 15. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as you have seen evil. I, I read this psalm once a month for 15 years, and it was after, I think it was at least 10 years until I even noticed this verse, and now it's like my favorite one. That's, and, and God's Word can do that no matter how long you've been, been studying it. Um, so my question is, what do we expect our lives to be like? I think most of us expect that life will work out and be pleasant most of the time. So we get pretty miffed when things don't go our way. Maybe we have a loved one who is struggling, or there's a financial downturn that takes away 20 or 30 percent of our net worth, or we're having difficulty finding someone to marry, or we're having difficulty with the someone we found to marry. Um, or we might have a debilitating physical condition, cancer. We get hurt in a car accident, or somebody deliberately hurts us or insults us or badmouths us, and we just kind of add it up and we put all these things together and we go, life is just too hard. It's not meant to be this hard. I love Moses' perspective. It always makes me smile. Paraphrasing verse 17, he says, Lord, now I don't want to ask for too much, but could we just have as many good days as we've had bad ones? That doesn't sound very American, does it? What's our culture's expectation? Almost all good days. See, given that we live in a fallen world, and we are all flawed and broken, and the people around us are all flawed and broken, this seems like a pretty reasonable request. See, the, the third concept is to learn to be grateful if you just have as many good days as bad days, and if you have more good days, then be extremely grateful. One of the ways we can gain a heart of wisdom, and this ties into the previous concept, we tend to learn more when things are difficult than when things are easy, don't we? When things are easy, we kind of, you know, thank God, you want to stop it. When things get difficult, we really seek Him. That's the human tendency. We're supposed to rejoice and be grateful during easier times. We don't have to hope for bad times. There'll be plenty. But it's like Moses, we have a more robust understanding of evil and sin. He saw it all. Then we'll expect painful things to happen. But instead of wallowing in our disappointment, We'll look to God for the ways He can use it to change our hearts. God, evil is evil. Bad is bad. But God is so powerful, He wants to use it to change our hearts as we cooperate. So the concept is to be reasonable and expect as many bad days as good. Very different than our culture. So how might you begin to put some, a pra- put some concept like this in practice? I would recommend, again, that you just memorize the first five verses of chapter 5 of Romans. And then as you're going to sleep at night, you just think about it. And you, as you're thinking about it, whatever pain you're currently in, you think, okay, God, I, this is awful, but how might I be changed in my heart as I gain your perspective on this awful thing? Who might want to focus on this concept? Of the three concepts, who might want to pick this one? Well, the second concept might be anyone who is going through a particularly painful time. Anyone who is about to hurt something because of the pain. Are, are you about to hurt something because of the pain? Just many more bad days than you expected? I have a dear friend that none of you know. 
um, not from this church, so I'm not violating any confidences. I should always you know, pick my stories carefully. Um, his wife has suffered from numerous physical issues over the years. Cancer, injuries from a car accident, diminished mental capacity. Uh, and, of course, all of this impacts their, their marriage relationship. He is tall, athletic, witty, and handsome. So this woman noticed, not his wife, this woman noticed what was going on. And she started flirting with him and making it pretty obvious that she was interested. Now she, by the way, was unhappy in her marriage to a non-athletic, short, stubby, not witty, bald guy. But my dear friend did not pay her any attention to that. Still, he's still married, even with his wife. Issues just continue to, to worsen. Now, the woman found another younger, taller, better-looking man, had the affair, got divorced. Sometimes people quit marriages because they expected fewer bad days and more good days. Sometimes people quit jobs because they expected it to go better. Sometimes people quit their recovery program and go back to their addiction because the bad days just felt too much. Life was just too hard. Sometimes people quit churches because they expected fewer bad people in the church. You know, we only have sinners here, right? Only bad people. Including me. Sometimes people quit Jesus because they expected prosperity and much less pain. Mostly really good days and just a few bad days. See, perseverance is dramatically impacted by expectation. Perseverance is dramatically impacted by our expectations. Do you expect almost all good days? Or given the brokenness of this world, yourself and the people around you, do you have a robust enough understanding of sin and evil that if it could just be as many good days as bad days, that would be pretty cool. Have you ever thought about how Jesus experienced this life? In the Gospels, we get the impression that Jesus is so aware of the brokenness and sin around him that we get the impression he didn't have very many good days. He was just looking around. And, and then comes the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's not just facing the crucifixion, but all of the sins of the world being placed upon him and him receiving the punishment that they all deserve. We can't even come close to imagining him. He's completely distraught and he asks the Father to change the plan so it might have less pain. And when the plan didn't change, he didn't quit. But he paid for our sins on the cross. And as you sit here right here today, you know that he sees right into your heart. And he sees all the brokenness and feelings. But he won't quit you either. He is determined to transform you and then to bring you to this magnificent place that he is preparing for you. It's going to be amazing. All good days. Today we're going to experience communion together. And these are not merely symbols, although they're very strong symbols that we remember Jesus dying for us, shedding his blood, having his body broken for us. But they're not merely symbols. We actually believe that 
when we gather together to worship, there's a sense in which the Holy Spirit is very intentional about working powerfully here. And when we remember Christ's death for us, and we recommit ourselves, and we show our heart for gratitude, that the Holy Spirit actually supernaturally works powerfully in us. And it, it, it's different for different people, but we are so grateful for Ephesians 5 for us, and so grateful that the Holy Spirit has come to give us the power we need to not quit, to gain a heart of wisdom, to make God our home. This is actually uh, an experience that people who have turned over their life to Jesus, this is, this is for them. And if you've never done that and you're feeling like, I really want to turn my life over to Jesus, make him my Lord and Savior, this can be your day and this can be your kind of commitment um, event. If you're here, just kind of checking Jesus out. We are so glad you're here. Uh, but when the elements come, you might just kind of pass them down because it's a, it's a very serious thing that we're doing and it's for the people that have made that commitment. Maybe, you know, maybe later we'll do that. Would you join me in prayer? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now and do what only you can do. That you would work powerfully in our hearts. That you fill us with faith. Make our hearts soft. With all the power we need to persevere and that you would change us and make us more like you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Would the servers please come forward?